0: to WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill, 102.9 Bangor, and streaming online at WERU.org. Talk of the Towns with host Ron Beard is up next.
1: Good morning, and welcome to Talk of the Towns on WERU. We try to go beyond the headlines to make sense of the issues facing Maine families and to uh, share what works to seek alternative solutions. Talk of the Towns is produced with support from Cooperative Extension, the major educational outreach program of the University of Maine with offices statewide. This morning, our topic is Maine Towns Taking Action on Global Warming, and that's really a follow-up to our last uh, program where we talked with a number of folks, uh, including those from uh, Bar Harbor and Cranberry Isles, about initiatives that they're taking to reduce their greenhouse gas emissions and, and their carbon footprint. We'll learn more about that from our guests today. Uh, by phone, we have uh, Andy Burt of the Maine Council of Churches with us. Welcome to Talk of the Towns, Andy.
2: Thank you, Ron. I'm really glad to be able to participate in this discussion.
1: And here in the studio we have Deb Avalon King, who is the with the Main Department of Environmental Protection, the Air Bureau. Welcome to you, Deb. Thank you. And Pam Person. Pam is with the um among other things with the Bucksport Environment and Energy Committee. Welcome to you, Pam. Hi, Ron. Hi Deb. Hi Andy. Hi. Well, Andy, we'll start with you because you're part of a, um, a partnership—the Main Council of Churches and a number of other organizations. I think you'll tell us about part of a partnership um, uh, encouraging communities, main towns and cities, to um, think more about um, their carbon footprints and what they could do uh, to encourage citizens and local government and businesses to to uh, take more responsibility. Tell us about the main partners for cool communities.
2: Great. Well, I'm glad to have this opportunity to do that. Well, uh since um global warming or climate change it really has gotten beyond uh uh the uncertainty level and you know we're seeing it everywhere in mainstream media and, and uh I would certainly say Al Gore's An Inconvenient Truth film uh has played a major role uh changing our shift in thinking. What this has done is that uh, people in towns across this state and across the country are actually asking, what can we do now to solve uh, global warming? And um, that's really where the Maine Partners for Cool Communities comes in. We're a partnership of Maine Lung Association, Sierra Club, Maine Council of Churches, uh, Maine Energy Investment Corporation, which is working on renewable energy strategies, uh, and uh, um, Physicians for Social Responsibility. So we represent this broad spectrum of uh, groups who are wor- uh, from the health, environment, social and economic justice, uh, and faith communities, and we have contacts in the grassroots uh, in congregations, in health clinics, and so on. And um, we are uh, working with local activists who are contacting us on a daily basis uh, from their uh, communities. And we are uh, connecting them together uh, and uh, with uh, some of our good partners uh, in the state uh, to actually uh, solve uh, global warming. This is uh, really a, um, we're creating a mandate, I think, for federal action uh, where we haven't had um, much going on in the past. And this is really uh, the people at the grassroots and in municipalities saying um, it's time for us to act and make a difference. And certainly you're going to hear from a number of people today who've been doing just that.
1: Great, um, Andy. The the, uh, the the rationale for your coming together, uh, as you've said, is is um, to solve the problem, right. and um, and as, as you also said, to kind of uh, say this is this is where leadership is going to come from from the grassroots. Exactly. Right. Well, let's find out um, from uh, Deb Avalon King a little bit about um, what we know about global climate change and what the connection is to uh, clean air. Um, Deb, make draw that connection for us, if you could.
3: Well, um, the state is very interested in, um, in energy, energy efficiency and um, renewable energy and promoting those uh, actions because um, much of our energy use is based on fossil fuel emissions. We like to tell the story of Palmer Putnam when we go into schools, and Palmer Putnam was an engineer who calculated how much energy people use over time. And back in 1947, he was hired to calculate how much energy people use between 1860, when oil was discovered, and 1947, when the nuclear plants um, started to be constructed. And he found that in that 87-year period, there was probably 12 quadrillion BTUs, um, of energy used. Hmm. And then uh, the Department of Energy uh, has been following that and repeating that equi- uh, calculation every year. And in 2004, they estimated or calculated that um, there were 447 quadrillion BTUs of energy. So that's
1: more than doubling? Uh, or almost? <laughs> a-
3: it's ex- <laughs> exponential. Okay, okay. trillion. 30, okay. 40 times. Quadrillion. Quadrillion, okay. <laughs> so, um, so the interesting, another interesting Story. Part of that story that we tell students is that only 7% of that world energy use is renewable energy, and so all the rest is based in fossil fuels. And another sort of interesting factoid is that 25% of that energy is used by folks in the United States. And it's great. We've, it's improved our lives, and, and we really have come to appreciate energy and use it. But we just need to be, make sure, be mindful and be energy efficient and conscious of what we're using and mm. because it does result in air pollution um, and carbon dioxide emissions, which contribute to climate change.
1: And so what's that connection? Um, again, if I remember Al Gore's film, you know, the, the, the climate change piece uh, is, is driven by um, the planet warming because of, of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere that creates a, a kind of a shelter or a cushion.
3: Yep, they refer to it as a greenhouse effect, and we wouldn't have be able to live on this planet without that natural greenhouse mm-hmm. effect. But when the, inc- the CO2 levels or carbon dioxide levels keep increasing, um, it, it's, it creates more an, a, warmer in, a warmer and warmer planet mm-hmm. um, a- atmosphere, and things are happening and changing on the Earth. Uh, from year to year, and scientists are very concerned and have initiated a lot of...
1: And since that um, original work was done, the population of the Earth has increased greatly, too. Yes. So we're seeing it not only because we're using energy individually at a greater rate, but there's more people to use energy. So we've got a problem so what's the what's the air Bu- bureau what what's your particular you're doing edu- public education around this um, are there other things that you're doing um, to kind of promote these ideas
3: uh, well we, we have a number of partners community partners that mm-hmm. we work with and cool communities are a, a group that we work uh, quite uh, intensely to support um, it, they are doing a lot of great work and um, although we 're not a partner they're a mm-hmm. community based Uh, social marketing type they use that type of an approach Mm -hmm. to reach out to people and um, so we go we do support their work uh, to promote clean air zones which uh, establish no idling in schoolyards and so tell us about um, that.
1: Tell us a little bit about more about that, clean idling, you know, the no, no idling in schoolyards.
3: Well, that was something the Cool Communities folks initiated, and they came to us and said, we would like some help with this, and we had some experience with social marketing, and so we developed, helped them develop tools and hold some focus groups for a pilot project in Freeport, Maine, back four or five years ago now. More than that, I think. Is it? <laughs> <laughs> and so we've got all these tools that we provide to schools to, if that would like to do a no idling campaign campaign and uh, we in fact we just received a grant from EPA to expand that program and um, work with some service learning volunteers from high school or college uh, students so that they can help elementary schools and middle schools uh, explore no-idling campaigns in their
1: So Id- and idling has got two things going on. Idling um, may cause um, breathing problems for young people. You know, the carbon monoxide that people might be breathing um, near a school, but also there's that extra stuff going into the, the greenhouse gas effect. Yes,
3: there's multiple right. pollutants okay. that are result from fossil fuel right. burning.
1: Right, Great. Well, let's um, go back to um, Andy Burt, again, from the main Council of Churches, and with the um, The uh, the partnership called uh, Cool Communities. What's been the response, Andy, um, at the community level? We've heard a little bit um, about Freeport. What are some of the other places that um, you've worked in, and what's been the response?
2: Well, what is exciting is that we actually uh, we're we're about to release a report uh, from the last year's work, and we have. Uh, been involved in one way or another, in some places far more actively than in others, in about four dozen uh, towns and cities across the the state, uh, supplying them with resources uh, and so on. Uh, Eighteen have signed on to what is called the U.S. uh, Mayor's Climate Protection Agreement. This was initiated by uh, Mayor Greg Nichols of Seattle, when he realized that um, our federal government was really not taking action. And he said, well, the cities must lead. And um, uh, so he has uh, started this project, and part of our organizing framework is to try to get uh, communities signed on to that uh, agreement. We've um, had uh, great interest in Rotary Clubs, which, by the way, are uh, one of their major... Um, focuses for this upcoming year is on uh, climate change, and so we're hoping uh, those uh, very successful local groups will be uh, working with us on some strategies. Uh, High school students, uh, doctors, uh, concerned parents, I mean, it's all over the place, and um, uh, again, each community, the other thing that I think is really exciting is that each community is um, uh, working using the skills and um, knowledge and passion that is present in that community. So communities are uh, cooling in very different ways, and um, I think this is uh, a wonderful um, model for how how things really work organically is that when you're working locally, you don't come in and impose something, but you really find out uh, what's going on there and help to nurture that uh, with resources and so on. And and information, um, we're a real network uh, of information for people who so they don't have to reinvent the wheel in each community, and they can learn from each other, which um, I think is really exciting. And I've been learning uh, a lot just working with uh, people in each community.
1: Mm. So one of the things that you mentioned was kind of signing on um, the, the mayor's um, uh, kind of uh, compact um, at the city level. What does that imply if a, if a city or a town, um, small community or large community signs on? What does that commit them to?
2: Well, it's a non-binding agreement, but it gives them a framework for uh, reducing their emissions by, uh, set, uh, to 1990 uh, levels, 7% but below 1990 levels. It's basically uh, much like the um, uh, Kyoto Protocol, which was an international uh, treaty signed by uh, virtually every government but the United States. Um, but, but what is important, I think, is that we're really looking at uh, communities making commitments to reduce their carbon emissions by 2% per year. And uh, we have uh, tools that can help communities to inventory what their emissions are and then um, uh, to work uh, from there while they are uh, also implementing... Um, Uh, solutions like the no idling project um, in their communities. They can be inventorying and going back and looking and creating a baseline, but they can also be moving forward uh, because uh, we really are looking at a a timeline um, that uh, we need to make big differences over the next decade.
1: So the the, f- the framework that you described gives people um, some some guidance, but it also sets some some uh, projected targets, so that we're all working towards um, you know something that really does make a difference.
2: Exactly, and we have we have resources. For example, the Sierra Club, ha- uh, with their chapters all over the country, uh, they've pulled together what is called a cool cash. Uh, Uh, document. This uh, demonstrates from cities and towns all over the country um, energy-saving projects that have been implemented, and it demonstrates uh, not only the carbon and energy saved, but also the money saved. And that's part of the uh, exciting appeal about this, is that you're not just... uh, saving energy and and helping to save the planet but you uh it's also uh saves taxpayer dollars and that uh really whets the appetites of uh, municipal officials and we're able to show how so many communities have um uh you know prove have a proven track record on on this
1: Great. I think we're in a future program. We're going to look at some of the eventual um, um, impacts of uh, climate change um, on Maine. Um, but people are even without those impacts. You're saying they get to save a little money in the short run.
2: Absolutely. Great. And with uh, the price of oil going up, it's getting to be a larger, larger saving.
1: We'll invite you to stay with us, Andy, for a, a little while longer, but um, why don't you um, give us the website, if you could, for um, the, uh, the partnership.
2: Yes, it's uh, www.coolmain.org.
1: Great. Well, again, stay with us for a little longer. We may come back to you. Um, okay, thank you. We'll go now to um, talk with Pam Person. Pam is in the studio with us, and um, she's been working on climate change and clean air and all kinds of great stuff for a lot of years. How did you first get started, Pam? Well, we moved
4: to Maine in 1989, and the week after, there was an announcement that there was going to be a coal-fired power plant built in Bucksport. And I thought to myself, hmm, I don't think I like this idea. So I went to a meeting and became um, not one of the leaders, but one of the followers of a phenomenal trio in the Bucksport area called STOP, State Taxpayers Opposed to Pollution. We are the only people who ever defeated an AES project in the whole world. And then... Because I kept yapping and working on energy and going to state meetings and things. Um, um, Even after we defeated them, um, many of us decided we needed to continue working on sensible energy. So we formed the Coalition for Sensible Energy. I served on various state stakeholder groups, helped co-found the Maine Global Climate Change in 1997, uh, worked um, with people at various levels in the state and region, on New England Governor's Eastern Canadian Premier's Climate Change Action Plan, which was adopted in 2001, the 1st binational bi-national adopted plan for climate change reductions in the entire world because it was um, the Kyoto at that point, although it had been adopted in 1997, had not been ratified. Um, then in Maine, we, this is a phenomenal state. you know. I mean, we should be really proud of ourselves. Um, We have the first state-adopted legislation for greenhouse gas reductions, sponsored by Representative Kaufman, who I've worked with for a long time, and lots of us have worked with Ted for a long time. Um, But in 2006, I was asked by the Bucksport Bay Healthy Community Coalition to form an Environment and Energy Committee, and I thought, gee... Let me think. We got a lot of people in the local area, and I named off the top of my head forty people that live in the four towns that have a phenomenal amount of knowledge, scientific knowledge, you know, environmental engineers at the mill, um, dam knowledge, you know, from running the dams, uh, planning board people, whatever, uh, land trust people. So I invited them, and eighteen have become members, and fourteen have become associates in the four towns, and we've done all kinds of.
1: And this came out of something called Healthy Communities. Uh, Tell us a little bit about that concept, if you could. Healthy
4: Communities is something uh, that was started back in 1995 uh, by a group in Bucksport. They were able to get a very nice grant on it. And what they have done was developed a participatory learning approach for developing a community-based health plan. They went to the community and said, what do you want? Hmm. Rather than saying, this is what you want, right. or, this is what you need. And um, that whole process then has, has evolved and there have been lots of other healthy communities and healthy main partnerships formed. And um, it's all evolving this year into a whole bunch of other stuff. But in right. any case, right. um, it's, it's a very interesting group to work with. There are many subcommittees from the coalition. I'm just, we're just one there's the seniors
1: and the childhood and transportation and on and on it goes. Mm. So the notion is that um, if you ask people what health is, they're going to come up with more than just going to the doctor. You better doctor. believe it. You better believe it. So, Community
4: health is and and just And like,
1: just like um, Andy was describing, this kind of grassroots, non-prescriptive mm-hmm. way, how do you solve those problems? Mm-hmm. So tell us a little bit about the um, Energy and Environment Committee and what you've done. Well,
4: You know, I came in with my own ideas. Mm -hmm. And then I looked at the group and I said, okay, group, what are we going to do? And they said, the first thing we're going to do is we're going to try to save energy. Mm. Because there are so many things that, you know, have, in terms of environmental effects, whether it's air, whether it's water, whether it's land, every time you don't use energy, you are saving not only money, but you're saving the whole, you know, human health and an ecosystem health. So. We worked and worked and worked and had energy-saving days last May. It was a two-day event. It involved the Chamber of Commerce, the schools, the towns. We had um, uh, tours in the town municipal offices. We had home tours. We had hardware stores where we had um, all kinds of stuff for two days. And we've also did um, developed a citizen energy use and commitment form that was taken by members of the local food bank, Um, participants in the local food bank and members of a local garden club, which is an interesting two different um, economic and um, social levels of of society, and the commitment level was very high in both groups. And then this summer, we were trying to develop an environmental indicator, a series of indicators that would be particularly important for the Bucksport, Orland, Verona, Prospect area. And we thought, well, we've got to ask people, what is it? You know, don't, don't say, this is it. Mm-hmm. Ask them, what is it? Mm-hmm. And so uh, we had a kernel corn survey at the Bay Festival. And people voted there. And then we developed it into a more complete survey this last um, fall. And you wanted to talk about that, I think. Well, we you got too. some
1: support. I think some support from the Bingham Foundation. Yes,
4: and Maine Lung I again. Mean, you know, we yeah. have to think American right. Lung of Maine has been very involved because they they understand you have to breathe it sooner or later, whatever <laughs> it is. And, um, you know, I served with Norman on several other things. And almost all... Of the air pollution, you know, that's you know that you can quantify, and a big stuff is combustion
1: mm-hmm. byproducts. Mm-hmm. So, so as you did this survey with community uh, folks in in the four town area around Bucksport, what what, what did people tell you? What were they what their were their main concerns? Well, first of all, I was amazed because it went
4: out to the twenty three hundred subscribers for the enterprise, and we got three hundred and four. Responses from people. Now it was about two hundred surveys, but from three hundred and four people took the time to sit down and think, and then mail it back. Mm-hmm. So that took time, and it mm-hmm. took actual money to send for the postage. And so, I first of all, we're thrilled with the response rate. Right? The top three issues of importance to the local citizens, and I didn't tell them how to answer the questions, (laughs) was one, human health, forests, food, and water supplies, and wildlife effects from global climate change. So so slow
1: down. What were those three again? Because they all kind of ran together. Okay. Human health, forests, food, and water
4: supplies, and wildlife effects from global climate change. This is the effects that they're interested and concerned about, the effects from global Mm -hmm. climate change. Mm. 221 people said – That's an issue. Mm -hmm. Second issue was industrial air emissions. 220 people said that was very important. And, of course, that's, you know, more of the – that's the causes. And then, third, changes in types of energy use and um, increases in energy efficiency
1: and savings. That was 207 people said – so the effects on the environment, basically, mm-hmm. you know, um, pollution itself. Yep. And, and then the then energy saving, right, right.
4: So yeah. I just think that was just so fascinating because, remember, this particular area is a mill town. Mm-hmm. Many of the people have worked in the mill or have family members who work in the mill, and so, um, you know, we're not, you know, eco-friendly, normally thought of as eco-friendly, but people also are very involved in, very supportive of their land trust. We did a phenomenal thing in, um, at Great Pond Mountain mm-hmm. this past year. We bought 4,300 acres. So it's, it's, it's an area that really connects to the land as, as well as, you know, and make
1: many hunt, many fish. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So... Great. Well, we'll look forward to hearing more about um, what Bucksport is, is, is doing, um, and maybe we'll have um, folks from your committee back um, on WBRU. Um, Andy, is this kind of typical of the kind of responses you're seeing um, as you get down to the community level?
2: Absolutely, yeah. I was fascinated to hear uh, Pam's report.
1: Great, and I I know that they have um, done a a written report for the Bingham Foundation, so if if folks are interested in that, I'm sure that uh, contacting Pam or other members of that group, you could find out a little bit more in depth. So if other communities are listening, they want to follow um, suit, or just at least find out what you came up with, um, they'd be able to do that. That's great. So, um, Andy, I think we'll let you go. Um, We have some other guests by phone that we're going to try to contact, so thanks so much for being with us.
2: Well, thank you.
1: Good luck now. Andy Burt from the Maine Council of uh, Churches, and Andy is part of the Maine Partners for Cool Communities. Um, Here in the studio, we have um, Deb Avalon-King of the Maine Department of Environmental Protection, the Air Bureau, and Pam Person of the Bucksport Environment and Energy Committee. You're tuned to Talk of the Towns. If you'd like to ask a question or add your comments today, feel free to give us a call at 1-866-625-9378 or 469-0500. Um, Deb, you've been working with um, schools, um, some on, on some of these. What are the what are what are the um, responses of kids when you talk about some of these issues?
3: They're very engaged in uh, issues about energy and the environment. I partner with the Maine Energy Education Program, and we have an AmeriCorps volunteer in our office that uh, is one of the staff people that go out into classrooms mm-hmm. around the state and um have terrific programs that we put on a lot of there's been a lot of interest these last 2 years in climate change presentations that we offer to schools and uh, it's very interested the schools are very interested in service learning projects and community service so they're in, we're engaging students in doing research on different topics and including driver ob- observations of driver idling uh-huh. behaviors and um We also have a carbon footprint uh, presentation that we do where we ask students to sort of try to calculate their carbon footprint uh, that their family uses in terms of energy for transportation, heating their homes, and electricity. And then we ask them to consider pledging to do a 2% solution, and we have some actions that they can personally take Mm. to – Pledge to um, reduce their carbon footprint. It might include reducing your shower by three minutes. It might include unplugging electronics when they're not being used or turning lights off. Um, those so kinds of the, actions. The, the
1: kids seem to like they're they're perfectly willing to chip in.
3: They are very excited about the idea of chipping (laughs) in and making a difference and being able to go home and and talk to their folks about right.
4: Right. um, In the middle school last year when the energy patrol, the main energy education project, came and did the energy patrol at the Miles Lane School in Bucksport, there were some parents that called up and said, they keep turning off the lights.
1: (laughs) 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 Well, again, I think um, both um, what Andy was saying and what you're both saying, Pam Person and and Deb Avalon-King, are saying that when you turn these things over to the grassroots people voluntarily will do a lot more, perhaps, than they would if someone tried to impose something. Mm, Um, So that's great. I think um, uh, we're going to go now to um, Belfast. And um, there's a similar kind of committee um, that's been operating in uh, Belfast. In 2006, the city council passed a resolution to join the International Council for Local Environmental Initiatives. And uh, Andrew Carpenter is with us. Um, He's uh, part of of that committee that's been operating to um, think about the these kinds of issues. Welcome to Talk of the Towns, Andrew.
5: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
1: Tell us a little bit about um, how you got started in the committee. Um, you've got a, um, uh, an agricultural background, um, working um, with uh, local agricultural concerns. Is that what you brought you into all of this?
5: Um, yeah, I've always been interested. To, you know, my, my personal interest in this is energy reduction. I've, mm-hmm. um, out of college, uh, my first job was Working for a weatherization assistance program. This was when I was living out in Seattle. Um, so it, it, this is a little bit different than um, my regular vocation, <laughs> but uh, I maintained uh, my current vocation. But I maintained an interest in um, basically energy conservation. So, uh, but it, our group got started when there was a um, uh, workshop in town on climate change um, that was put on. By a counselor, one of the councillors, um, one of the town councillors, and his daughter, who uh, is getting a master's degree at the at the University of Washington, studying climate change, had a. There was a huge interest in it. Um, there was a packed house at the boathouse there, and uh, concurrently, our mayor was uh, Mike Hurley at the time. Signed on to the mayor's uh, agreement on on uh, committing to reducing greenhouse gas emissions. Uh, so then uh, it was Roger Lee, the counselor, who started the committee, and he asked me to join, and I've since become uh, the chair of the committee.
1: Mm. What what kinds of things has the committee um, undertaken, both either studying or kind of understanding the issues or or um, helping citizens to take action?
5: Yeah, We've got a few uh, projects. One is um, we're lucky to have an energy engineer that lives in town, and he took it upon himself to do an energy audit of... Um, the seven municipal buildings that we have in town. Um, Since then, we've been uh, working with the city to follow up on that and follow through on his recommendations. There were um, some pretty substantial recommendations from that.
1: Do you remember anything in particular to just help listeners understand what um, might be possible in their towns?
5: Yeah. You know, the the thing that will probably end up saving us the most uh, energy is uh, the HVAC systems, heating, ventilation, and cooling systems in both the... um, City Hall and the library—they um, they're fairly new systems, but they're not—they're really not working correctly. And uh, so they're heating—they're heating at times when they should be cooling. They're working against themselves huh. at times. And and um, you know, one interesting thing was a, a chandelier—you know, very nice, aesthetically appealing chandelier in the um, library uh, uses about as much electricity as a single residence because it's got so many bulbs in it. and Mm. uh, Just simply changing out those bulbs is going to make a big difference. But uh, overall, there are a lot of relatively simple things that will make a a big difference in terms of energy use uh, in some of the buildings. And then we're also um, uh, working with Efficiency Main to change out lighting in um, essentially all of the municipal buildings.
1: So those little things are going to add up.
5: Yeah, pretty substantial um, in terms of our, uh, in terms of what we might save. I don't I don't actually have a dollar figure on it, but um, we'll get pretty significant savings right off the bat. Mm. We put on a weatherization workshop that was free to um, people in the town, and actually we had a lot of people from out of town that, that came in for it. And uh, we televised that. That covered um, residential. Um, Energy reduction through insulation, and also looking at infiltration. And we actually did a um, what's called a blower door fan test, um, and we we televised that, so it it now plays on uh, cable access uh, channels in town, and and we have uh, one of those videos at least on our website, uh, www.belfastclimate.org. Uh, we've initiated a monthly energy challenge um, to everybody in town that. Um, <clears throat> Includes things like trying to get to work by either biking or walking. If you normally drive uh, using uh, a drying rack instead of drying your clothes in a dryer, or um, the first challenge was to turn down your thermostat five degrees for a day. So We do that monthly, um, and we also have been distributing um, uh, compact fluorescent light bulbs
1: so you're just you're just um working away chipping away at the things that um, uh, might seem um, obvious but um, they're so important
5: yeah and uh, yeah one thing we've noticed is uh it, it, a lot of these things including um, changing out your light bulbs to cFLs or or doing weatherization are things that uh, people are already thinking about, but they need maybe just a little catalyst to get them going. I've had a lot of calls since we did the weatherization mm-hmm. workshop asking for um numbers of people that could do an energy audit or give them, re- you know, actual recommendations about what they should start with in, in, in their house uh, in terms of either infiltration or doing insulation work. So, yeah, they're um, it's sort of common sense but tangible things.
1: Great. And, and if listeners were interested in this and for their own communities, do you have any advice for them, uh, your experience um, on, this, on this committee? What, what would you suggest that they might um, start with?
5: Well, I, th- I think um, <clears throat> th- one of the tough things for us is, is um, and one of the things that we've uh, been doing more tangible things. Uh, at first, when we started the committee, I uh, have a sense that we were floundering for a little while, partly because um, it, the the whole issue of climate change tends to um, be uh, an issue into which people can place every single environmental issue that they've been thinking about for the last 20 years. And, and in some cases it makes sense to fit that in there. And in some cases maybe it doesn't, but uh, you don't want to necessarily become a clearinghouse for every single environmental issue that uh, anybody in town has. I think our, 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 um, the way we've gotten over that is to really focus on energy reduction, energy conservation, and um, not taking on uh, some of the issues that I think are a little bit more tangential.
1: So getting down to something that's that's um, uh, focused and, and practical.
5: Yeah, exactly. Great. And um, I think in terms of, uh, you know, to me a great example of what a committee like this can be effective in doing is uh, facilitating change, not necessarily taking on, you know, it's, it's hard for a voluntary committee to, to do everything under the sun to um, reduce energy use in a city, but um, the, the follow-up that we've been doing with the energy audit is a great example. That, that energy audit was great, but if it weren't for us um, working very closely with the city to make sure that they were follow-up on it, it would be something that would probably just uh, languish on the shelf. But we've been we brought in someone from efficiency maine to get them started on the on changing out the light bulbs and we helped them um, develop a uh, request for proposals to get energy engineers in to, to follow up on the recommendations from that that's actually starting now it's not that the city didn't find these things important but they have you know every city's got a million different things going on and without um, having a sort of help push it along or or work with them to get them done They. they- it probably wouldn't be able to get them done.
1: So that um, notion that um, the committee can provide um, gentle pressure, if you will, um, to make yeah. sure that that things get followed up on. So that exactly. would be another a piece of advice for a committee: is to is to not take on everything, take on a few things, and then um, guide guide the follow up.
5: Exactly. And I, I got to say, our city's been um, great in in terms of following up with these things, but they, they've just needed a, a little help getting there. I think.
1: Great. Well thanks so much for being with us and taking time out of your, your work day um to be with us, Andrew Carpenter. Um thanks for being with us.
5: Okay. Thank yeah. you very much for having me.
1: Andrew is with the Belfast Energy and Climate Committee. Um still in the studio with us um is Anne uh, excuse me, Deb Avalon King um, with the Maine Department of Environmental Protection, the Air Bureau. Um if you've got a question or a comment for us as we talk about what Maine towns are doing to take action on global warming, feel free to give us a call at one 625-9378 or 469-0500 is, uh, again, um, a little bit of, of uh, uh, background. Andrew's um, kind of comments really brought it down to what can a town do? Do you see that kind of thing happening as well?
3: Uh, absolutely, and uh, businesses could look into this too. Hmm. And if you look at efficiencymain.org, they have business program that that is uh, – El- municipalities and schools are also eligible to per- to participate in a um, program where they can get subsidized retrofits for electricity-related um, improvements, and um, I highly recommend contacting them and checking out what they have to offer. Mm. We have a workshop coming up that they're partnering with us in this coming Friday in um, Lewiston for school energy efficiency managers or energy managers and business managers. And we have a 100 folks coming from around the state to learn all about what kinds of things they can do in schools. And I could also mention the main energy education program that we talked about earlier also has students doing energy efficiency audits in schools. So we have a little kit that we're loaning out. Uh, It's a pilot program this year and students are actually engaged in looking at these so they can take those skills home and and maybe look at their own homes as well.
1: Mm. And I can imagine that the businesses and the schools are both looking at their bottom line, their budget, and they're saying, oh, we might be doing something good for the environment, but we're also saving some money.
3: Yes, it's all about saving money for right. the schools. Yes. Great, right.
1: great. Right. Do we have a caller as well? Um, just, Just... We have, um, uh, okay, I'm just getting signals from my engineer. Um, we're go- actually going to um, go to and um, auburn I believe, at, at this point. Um, Julie Balestreri is with us. Um, she's with the, commun- the Cool Communities Project there. Um, uh, welcome to Talk of the Towns, Julie.
6: Hi, thank you. Thank you for having me.
1: Tell us a little bit about how you got involved. You got involved first perhaps as an intern at uh, University of Southern Maine um, at the and auburn campus.
6: Yep, that's correct. I, I'm currently doing an internship, actually, and I'm just working with cool communities through that. Um, that's how I got, initially got involved with it.
1: And did you have a particular um, interest that drew you to that particular project rather than something else?
6: Well, yeah. I had been working in a research lab at USM um, trying to grow microalgae to produce biodiesel mm. out of. So mm. I had been currently thinking about climate change issues. So this seemed like the next step for me.
1: Great. Well, what k- kinds of projects um, have you been involved with um, at the local um, schools?
6: Well, currently I'm, do- I'm working with a green team. We put together a green team at one of the local elementary schools, and this was um, an outreach effort that resulted from the MEAP activities that Debbie was telling you about. Um, we had gone into the schools, We meaning um, meep and myself, and done an awareness session with the class. Um, the teacher from that class thought it would be a great idea to somehow incorporate energy education in the school, so she put together a green team. Um, it's 13 kids in fourth and fifth grade, and they work on different projects every week. We meet once a week. Um, some of the projects they're working on are really pretty interesting, um, and they potentially have um, an impact community-wide. Um, these kids are trying to evaluate the electricity usage for their computers, which <laughs> wow. are left on all the time. huh Um, For some reason, they think it takes more energy to power them down and power them on um, than to just leave them on all the time. So they have evaluated the usage, and they're writing a letter now to the principal and the facilities people in Lewiston to see if they can get that changed.
1: So what did Um, they find out? What did they find out, and did they, they do some experiments to find out?
6: They did, yeah, and they found out that they're using a heck of a lot of electricity to keep these running all the time. So I don't know the exact numbers right, right, right offhand, but it's it's an enormous amount of electricity as opposed to keeping them off.
1: So fourth and fifth graders, remind me what age group we're talking about, these young scientists?
6: Hmm, uh, you know what, <laughs> 10 maybe, 10 or 11, <laughs> uh-huh, I guess. Uh-huh. Yeah.
1: And so that's just at the age when they're beginning to, to look at the wider world and realizing they um, have a, a role in the wider world.
6: Right, which is really exciting because these things that that we're doing just on a school level, they're considering taking them on a community mm. level, they're now talking about, well, why should we stop at our school? Why don't we send this letter to every school in Lewiston-Auburn and see if, if they're willing to do the same thing that we are?
1: How about the state? Oh, yeah, it's How really, about the state? Right,
6: right. <laughs> yeah, they really have some big big goals. It's well, nice to see them think outside the box.
1: Listeners have heard it here first. You know, maybe that's, that will start a movement to, to really look at um, our use of computers. What other kinds of things are, are you working on, Julie?
6: Well, um... Currently, I'm also working with the University of Southern Maine at Lewiston-Auburn doing um, service learning projects here, and it's sort of the same same approach as with the elementary schools, only larger scale. Mm-hmm. Um, the students on the university level are, are working on things such as an energy audit for the school. Um, here in Lewiston-Auburn, we have two buildings. One of them is brand new. One of them is not so new, so we're we're comparing the usage, fuel usage, electricity usage of the old building compared to the new one, um, where we could make some changes to use less. Um, and we're also creating an action plan that we're going to present to the faculty and administration just to see if, if, they're, if they're willing to make small changes that will have a great impact.
1: Mm. So service learning implies that there's, there's a... Um, um, intellectual component. It's not community service. This is service learning so that they're, it's part of their coursework in some way.
6: Right, exactly.
1: And so what kinds of students are involved? Are, uh, it, do you have a gamut of people or most people involved in technology or, or environment? What, what, what kinds of students are involved in these projects?
6: Well, the students that are working on the survey are the environmental health class. Okay. So the air it affects our health to um, how pollutants in the water affect aquaculture. Um, so that, that's the class that's working on the
4: mm-hmm.
6: audit. And we also have students working on a survey, an intercept survey through the, for the community. And this is something, it's, it's a little wider, wider based. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, one of the questions on the survey is, have you heard of global warming and are you concerned about it? So it's just kind of to, to gauge the level that our community is at so that we know what kind of outreach efforts to conduct in order
1: to, to reach them. Hmm. So uh, we've heard from other um, guests this morning that starting with that kind of local um, knowledge um, that, that sometimes is collected through surveys or focus groups, um, that's um, so important to um, leading to any kind of action that might follow.
6: Right.
1: Julie, what's next for you? What, what, what do you hope to accomplish um, in your own life? It sounds like you're um, interested in this whole question of biodiesel. Is, is this something that you're going to pursue as a career?
6: Well, I don't know. I don't know if it'll be specifically biodiesel. Mm-hmm. I do like the environmental work, so I would like to stay somewhere in this field. Um, not exactly sure where. I do. I like. Um, I actually love working with the students and the kids, and um, it seems like they're really the focus of this whole educational outreach. Just because they're the future, and the way they think is just reassuring and really refreshing. That they're they're so into it, and they're so willing to do things that that they think are going to make a difference.
1: Right. So for I, me,
6: it, it seems like um, that would be a good good place to put my effort.
1: Right. I'm just so grateful that they're not willing to just write us off as, as the adults who have caused these problems that they have to fix.
6: Right. And a, a lot of times um, some of the parents feel that way. Um, mm. we're, we're hearing from some of the students' parents thinking, well, I'm not quite sure if I want my, student, my, my child to be involved in this. And then on the other hand, we're, we're hearing from parents who – they want to be involved. They're want they mm-hmm. they're coming to the meetings. They're coming mm-hmm. to the green team meetings, and they're really involved. So it's really refreshing that these kids are bringing this home, and they're educating their parents on what they're learning.
1: That's great. That's yeah. great. Well, good luck with your work, and thanks for being with us on Talk of Thank the Towns you. this thanks morning. Thank you. for having me. Great. Julie who is is um, working on the Cool Communities Initiative in Lewis and Auburn and part of the University of Southern Maine um, down there at the Lewis and Auburn campus. Um, You're tuned to Talk of the Towns. Um, you can participate um, by, by calling us at one 625 9378 or locally at 4690500 as we going to take action on global warming. Perhaps you've got a question. Perhaps you've got a comment. Um, feel free to give us a call, one 625 We're going next to Falmouth, and uh, Barbara DeBays um, is with us. Um, tell us a little bit about your – no, I'm sorry. We have a caller. We'll go with the caller first. Mixed signals here, and I apologize for that. Uh, Go ahead with your question or comment, please.
5: Hi, this is Alan from Monroe.
1: Thanks for calling, Alan. What what, uh, is your question or comment, please?
5: Well, the comment is that you're stressing um, fluorescent light bulbs, which are energy-efficient yet filled with mercury um, neurotoxins. And I personally will not put these in my house until a plastic shield is built around them, which seals that mercury. Hmm. There's no reason why we have to contaminate our homes to save energy.
1: Right. Well, we can, I think uh, our guests have talked about a number of different solutions. Um, have you actually found that you can find uh, that kind of light bulb?
5: No. Uh huh. Um, I mean, you can find that light bulb, but not one with a the cover. Oh, There's no okay. reason why a cover can't be designed and put on these bulbs, I've which s- when the bulb breaks, Contains the mercury.
1: I actually have seen them with a cover. So maybe we need to do some more homework to find out, because I've seen them um, um, in a a low, I'm not going to mention the name. Store, uh-huh. so you know maybe we can find those solutions. But you're right; we certainly don't want to to uh, do harm um, by bringing mercury into our homes. Um, again, I think there are there's lots of work out there that's that's looking at the amount of mercury, um, how much mercury. I had a guest on last week's show that did to be working on that kind of homework. But thanks for your call this morning. You're welcome. The uh, the notion of of uh, Mercury light bulbs must come up in in some of your work. And I know that the DEP has has provided some guidance to people on, on those kinds of issues. Any, any thoughts about this caller?
3: Um, there, is, there is a study that the department recently did that documented um, that it probably is best to avoid using those light bulbs in rooms where small children play and that they might get broken so that you can reduce the amount. But the overall mercury emissions to the atmosphere are much greater from the electricity use. Mm. Uh, from the coal-fired generating plants.
1: So we have this notion of trade-off all the so time. So there's
3: this trade-off, yeah. but it's that imme- I can appreciate his concern yeah, for that sure. immediate impact, especially sure. for children. Right. My hope is for LED light bulbs uh-huh. because they save uh, their 120th the amount of electricity right. demand that a uh, uh, regular old-fashioned light bulb right. uses. So
1: maybe by the time that we use some of these other alternatives... Um, in, in maybe four or five years, we, the LED technology might be there. Yes, it's starting I mean, to be it's there, there now. But it's pretty expensive, so people aren't choosing right. that um, And right And away. the
3: quality of the light mm-hmm. it needs some improvement mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm.
1: So, again, we, if we have people working on these issues, we may find better solutions than we do right now. Great. I look forward to those Great. solutions. Great. Now we're going to Fal- uh, Falmouth, and we have uh, Barbara DeBase with us. Um, tell us a little bit about your work, Barbara, and welcome to Talk of the Towns.
0: Thank you very much i just like to comment on the caller recently. I'm an environmental sustainability uh, student at the University of Southern Maine, and we recently looked at the DEP study hmm. and were really impressed with their work. It was the first one done possibly in the whole country, and it, it did talk about the fact that you need to um, open your windows for um, quite a bit of time when a bulb does first break and then be conscious after when you're uh because the uh, mercury will be brought back in the air. Um, and the problem is it is a toxic at Certain levels, but we don't know what it is for young children or fetuses. But I think that they did an excellent job in this study to address the fact that we have a new technology and we, we need to be aware of how to use it.
1: Great.
3: I, could I add that they def, you definitely do not want to vacuum up a broken bulb because that does disperse the mercury throughout. Mm. And it, so you, they recommend wet cleanup in a glass jar. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So That's I just right. To make sure. To point yeah, that take,
0: out. take duct tape and take a, a wet rag and. Yeah, they did a good job.
1: Great. So tell us a little bit about your work in in Falmouth. Um, You're part of a um, a group that's doing a carbon emissions inventory.
0: Yes. Um, Like Julie, I was an intern with the University of Southern Maine um, last fall, helping the town after they signed the U.S. Mayor's Climate Protection Agreement. And the first step that we were were taking was to do a carbon footprint of the municipality only. Um, And that's all the municipal buildings, commuter miles, the... Electricity, fuel usage, our wastewater treatment plant, and we are um, members of ICLEI, which is an international organization. It's Local Governments for Sustainability. We're using um, a software tool called um, Cities for Climate Protection, and it's been quite an intensive um, study, to be honest with you, gathering Mm -hmm. utility bills for the whole municipality for a baseline year of 2002, 2005, and then 2007, and we're just beginning to study the trending for our town with the goal to meet um, a reduction similar to the Kyoto Protocol, which is 7% below 1990. So It's it's exciting work. We've had a a group called Cool Communities uh, here in Falmouth involved in it, but I have to say it's really roll up your sleeves, spending hours and hours recording um, utility data.
1: So right. you're actually looking at bills and then um, putting that that them into some kind of a spreadsheet or comparison kind of thing. Yes. Mm. Yep. So uh, tedious, but um, important to to get that baseline. Are you have you discovered anything that um, surprised you um, as you began that work?
0: Well, we um, have discovered that Falmouth is actually doing a lot. We part of recording the utility data is also inventorying all our departments as to what they've done that would qualify as a um, either an energy efficiency or conservation method, if It's if um, kind of a soft sustainability action. And we're, we're impressed with how much that we have done. We've been using biodiesel in all our um, vehicles since 2002. We've just done an upgrade to our wastewater treatment plant that is going to significantly reduce their energy uses, especially electricity, which um, wastewater plants tend to be one of the largest users of utilities in any municipality. Um, we've also found that we we in Falmouth want to measure where we are so we can quantify where we're going.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And sometimes that's philosophically a great thing, but it's frustrating because <laughs> yes. we, we also want to use um, compact fluorescents and we want um, the kids to start riding the bus more and we want to have safe routes to school. So we've also, with the Cool Falmouth Group, had outreach and education throughout the last year, including Efficiency Maine coming to help us with audits and um, getting people involved with the American Lung Association and the Sierra Club. So when we when we get a little frustrated with the data gathering, <laughs> we have an event at our library and we show a movie and we have a, a great community outreach to people, which which has been very helpful to keep us all motivated.
1: That's great. What's, what's been the reaction to some of those things in, in Falmouth?
0: Um, it's been it's been great. We actually just recently had um, the Wright family, uh, Jed Wright and his wife and his children came to our library, and we watched a program that Efficiency Maine um, sponsored. They had won a green makeover of their home, oh. and we had probably thirty-five or forty people at our our Balmont Memorial Library. Um, we had vendors there to show us, um, maybe not show us, but give us their brochures. And I actually just signed my house up for an energy audit this coming Monday with the heat doctor, and he said he's had four calls from that particular event. And uh, so it's, it's, I think what other callers have said, it is, or other spokespeople, it's the real grassroots, you know, each one reach one, mm. that's going to make a difference for us. Um, yeah. I know as a sustainability coordinator for the town, um, we have very... Um, high standards and goals that we've set, and we have a new energy green ribbon commission that we've started but I have to I caution them to say we can think big, but we really have to act in baby steps mm-hmm. so if we and can, can each one do something
1: right and that's that's often the the key to any kind of community action is to build those little steps in where people feel good about them and as you point out, still plug away at the at the tedious work of of, of collecting the data. So doing yeah. both of those kinds of things is probably important. Well, thanks for being with us. Any advice that you'd give us in the, in the last minute or so um, in terms of other communities that might be interested in doing the kind of work that Falmouth is doing?
0: Well, I would encourage people to contact the universities. And mm. um, I actually got started in this as a Master Gardener through the Cooperative Extension.
1: Great. We always like to hear that. <laughs> yeah, it's a,
0: it is a fabulous program. I, I suggest communities to reach out to... Um, the universities and the Cooperative Extension to get information. And an internship program is very good at the University of Maine. And I and I know that for um, the city, I believe it's, it is in Lewiston where Julie is, the city didn't necessarily have the resources to, monetarily to put into something, but students like myself and Julie and others are hungry to learn this stuff. and And I really recommend that towns reach out to the universities and and have interns, because we have a lot of support through the university Great. and our professors.
1: Great. Well, thanks so much for taking time to be with us today, Barbara. My pleasure. Barbara DeBase of uh, the Falmouth uh, Project to look at uh, carbon emissions and, and promote um, Energy conservation. Well, we're almost at the end of the hour, um, and Deb Avalon King is with us um, um, still from the uh, main Department of Environmental Protection, the Air Bureau. What are your hopes for the future? What What do you see coming out of all of all of these kinds of efforts?
3: Uh, growing numbers of communities and folks that are uh, working at the grassroots level mm-hmm. and people getting engaged in this in their homes. I'd like to put a plug in for Efficiency main's Carbon Free Homes uh, mm. effort. Uh, it's carbonfreehomes.org, and they give tips on how households can um, become more energy efficient and start looking at their, how they use energy.
1: Great. So. Great. Thanks so much for being with us. And really, you, you provided some real great help in putting the show together. So thanks again for being with us. My pleasure. We've come to that time. But I want to remind you that this program was produced with support from the Cooperative Extension and the Hancock County Extension Association. With offices in each county, Cooperative Extension is the major educational outreach program of the University of Maine. Our radio collaboration with WERU began in 1990 and continues with your support. Join us on the second and fourth Fridays of the month for Talk of the Town. Our theme music is a medley from Coronach on a Balmain House Highland Music recording. Thanks again to all our guests in the studio. Um, Deb Avalon King of the Maine Department of Environmental Protection, Pam Person, Bucksport Environment and Energy Committee. By phone we talk with Andy Burt of the Maine Council of Churches, Andrew Carpenter of the City of Belfast uh, Energy and Climate Committee, Julie Balistrieri of Lewis and Auburn, and Barbara DeBase of uh, Falmouth. Thanks to all of you for being here. Guests on the program. Thanks to our underwriters. Thanks to Amy Brown for engineering our program. And stay tuned for On the Wing. This is Ron Beard, your host for Talk of the Towns, wishing you a good morning. Community
6: Radio, WERU.